Welcome to the Evolving Spiritual Practice Podcast. My name is Ralph Cree. This is brought to you in association with bodyheartmindspirit.co.uk. In this episode, I talk with Kim Barter, who is a developmental psychotherapist from America. Um, and we were exploring shadow, psychological shadow, and the three different types of shadow, um, which we explore in detail, um, which was good for me because uh, shadow had been a bit of a one-dimensional thing for me and I hadn't quite passed out these three different types of shadow uh, that we explored together. Um, Kim has been doing this for many, many years, um, working with lots and lots of people and uh, he's also um, trained in North American shamanism. Um, and uh, not something we explored in, in this conversation. Perhaps might get him back for another episode, and we can explore his his um, you know training in in that shamanism because that is very interesting. Um, so just a, a little bit here about Kim. He's worked with individuals, couples, families, multicultural, LGBTQIA, um, youth at risk severely mentally ill, chronic pain, mind-body healing, existential dilemmas and advanced psychosocial spiritual development. Kim's considered the go-to person for those seeking to clear up distortions at the latest research levels of consciousness. His extensive experience spans the age range from infants to the elderly to multi-generational healing. Um, I find Kim uh, to be a very approachable person he's very friendly um, and he's got seriously deep knowledge uh, about psychotherapy and developmental psychology and um, at the end of um, this conversation he gives the details about a course that he's doing a year-long course um, on um, shadow uh, meditation and psych- psychology at the different developmental stages um, that, that we grow through in our lives. So um, with that, I will uh, leave you with the conversation with Kim. I hope you enjoy. So Kim Barter, welcome to the Evolving Spiritual Practice podcast. Thank you, Ralph. Nice to be here with you. Yeah, brilliant. So you um, reached out to me recently because you've got a course coming out on shadow work. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so we're going to explore that and give people a link so they can find it at the end of the show. And and I'd come across your work um, a while back and also your sister, Terry O'Fallon, um, through your kind of developmental psychological work. Um, and um, so perhaps we could just start by unpacking what, you know, so you, I think I've heard, I've listened to you describe yourself as a developmental psychologist. Mm-hmm. And perhaps we could just start with you saying, what, what is a developmental psychologist for people that don't know mm-hmm. what that is? That'd be a good place to start. Thank you. That's a great question. A developmental psychologist is someone who, takes in, um, actually, I would call myself a developmental psychotherapist. Oh, okay, yeah. That. 
Okay. And um, a developmental psychotherapist is a person who takes into account the different perceptions that people have as they move through the developmental spectrum. If you imagine for a moment that, uh, let's say you have a toddler, toddlers are running around and if they want something, they'll, they'll pull it out of your hand without asking. If, if another kid has a toy and they want it, they'll grab it. And if the kid resists, they might hit them over the head and take it anyway. This is kind of a normal toddler type behavior. They're getting into pots and pans and it, it's a delightful period of time, but, it's, it, but their, their thought processes are not just like little adults. They're, it's different. They don't understand morals yet. They're not anti-moral or amoral as sometimes people feel. They're just pre-moral. They haven't developed the concept or the understanding of morals yet. Um, and so they don't even see what we would call second person perspective. They're in first person perspective. Um, so let's just take that for a moment and then notice just a few years later, uh, a, a young child who, who is in second person perspective and they have theory of mind. And theory of mind helps us understand that other people have consciousness just like ours. Notice the difference between a toddler who will dance naked on the table and one that starts hiding behind their mother's legs because they're shy. This is the beginning of theory of mind. They're starting to see that others can see them. Before that, if they wanna play hide and seek, they might close their eyes and cover it with their hands and say, you can't see me. And if you say, I can see you, they'll say, no, you can't, no, you can't. And they'll get really upset. And sometimes parents will think, oh, they're just playing and being silly, but no, they actually believe that other people can't see them if they can't see. So, so the, 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 uh, the developmental psychotherapist takes into account development of consciousness. So when we get into second person perspective, people start wanting to be fair because they see the whole world of friendship opens up to them. Now they see that other people can see them, that other people have consciousness and they can actually build a friend. So they go from parallel play, which is in first person perspective to interactive play, which is in second person perspective. And now they wanna be fair because by being fair, they can keep a friend. Instead of hitting their friend over the head to get the toy, they'll actually share the toy so that they can share the friendship. It's a whole different type of consciousness. And then as we move on, we get into um, principled awareness. So like a, a, a child that's maybe six or seven will be fair to somebody right in front of their face, right? But they don't take into account like how to have the golden rule, treat others as you would like to be treated. This is a principle. They're not quite yet at principles. They're, they can do things in the moment to create good relationships, but they're not quite strong enough on holding principles yet. And so you get someone who's principle oriented and um, like a, a child that's at, in early second person perspective, they'll be fair, but they'll also run off with their, kid, with their friends and do all kinds of things, get into all kinds of trouble, um, just playing as a horde, as a group, you know? Um, but at 2.5, they'll be principle oriented. And if their friends go off and do something and try and encourage them to do something, they'll stand on their principles. So when, when you say two, when you say 2.5, is that, so one is first person perspective, two is a second person perspective, 2.5 is sort of like 
moving out of second person perspective into the next bit. Is that what that means? Yeah. Well, so we have 1.0 and 1.5. It's, it's, um, it's, uh, it's the passive form and the active form of the, the developmental stage. So like 1.0 is like a baby. They're passive. They cry, but you have to be the one to take care of them. They don't take care of themselves. Whereas at 1.5, they're active. They won't just cry to get something. They'll, they'll push a, a stool up to the counter, climb up in the counter and get into the cookie jar without asking at all. So again, it's all about themselves. So you get the passive and the active form. So what we mean by 2.0 is that they're passive in that they're in reciprocity, but they're had by it. If their friend says something mean, they'll say something mean back. If their friend says something nice, they'll say something nice back. But at 2.5, we get active. And if our friend says something mean, we might hold our principle, and stay solid in our principle and say, I'm not going to talk to you that way. That's not right. I still care about you. So you see the difference between the passive form and the active form. Okay, that's clear. Okay, so a third person perspective, and this is important because this is where a lot of psychotherapy is tested. They're tested on third person perspective individuals because college freshmen are cheap, easy students to test out. And so a lot of modern psychotherapy is tested out on college freshmen and college freshmen tend to be in third person perspective. And third person perspective is if you think of first person perspective, it's all about me and second person perspective, it's all about we third person perspective can take a, a if I'm in interaction with you, Ralph, I can also kind of imagine what it'd be like if a third person was watching us. And then I can go, oh, let, let's adjust that based upon how, you know, a God in the sky or, or you know, a third person perspective and a, a wise person might observe this conversation. Um, third person perspective gets into a lot of ideologies. They get lost in those ideologies. I am so sorry about that noise. I'll Let's go. That. <laughs> So in third person perspective, you know, we start moving um, from principles to ideologies and you might notice a lot of ideologies in young people. You can have conservative ideologies, you can have liberal ideologies and the ideology, they're very had by it at 3.0 and at 3.5, they can start manufacturing the ideology. So as at 3.0, I'm, I'm developing all these new, I'm absorbing these new ideologies. I'm going to school, I'm catching all these new ideologies, these new awarenesses. Um, and, uh, uh, but I'm not able to do uh, metacognition yet. 3.5, the end of 3.5, we get metacognition where we can think about our thinking and, and explore whether that type of thinking is really a good way to go. It's science, it's a scientific method. And so what we can see is up until 3.5, people can study data, but they can't get the scientific method, which is I'm going to think about my own thinking. And so what happens is, and then now in fourth person perspective, we start seeing how our culture has shaped us. It's not just me thinking about my thinking. I'm thinking about how my entire life history shaped me to be the way I am. And now I'm starting to take at 4.5 power over reshaping my whole cultural consciousness and how that developed. So now you can imagine as a developmental psychotherapist, if you use um, a particular psychotherapeutic tool, we want to match it to the developmental level of our client. So for example, I might use behaviorism, uh, you know, a loving supportive type of behaviorism with 1.5. I might use, you know, a very relationship-based type of um, 
of psychotherapy with 2.0. I might explore principles and values with 2.5. At 3.0, we're starting to be able to think about our thinking. So what's really big there? Cognitive restructuring. So CRT or CBT are the major types of psychotherapy that work really well with that developmental level. And of course, that's what almost all psychotherapists are trained to do now because it's so well-researched and it's well-researched with people at third-person perspective. But you try to do CBT with somebody in fourth-person perspective and they're gonna feel really unseen, unheard and, and it's not going to work so well. It'll work well with, with certain specific things but it's not gonna work well in the overall. You need to come back to a relationship-based but a relationship-based psychotherapy that's very culturally aware and culturally sensitive and culturally uh, dynamic in terms of uh, their own, not just the culture they were raised in, but their own microculture of their family and how that's affected their consciousness. If you're not getting that, if you're just coming with CBT or cognitive restructuring or EMDR or any of these third-person perspective psychotherapies, these people in fourth-person perspective are just going to say, you don't get it. And they're not going to feel very fulfilled. But if you come with that kind of psychotherapy, a fourth-person psychotherapy, and you put it on a, a third-person perspective or a second-person perspective or first person perspective they're gonna they're not even gonna relate to what you're doing they're not gonna get it yeah they might even see you as blasphemous if they're 2.5 yeah well they um, so yeah a, a, so a developmental psychotherapist instead of saying everybody has to fit into my protocol a developmental psychotherapist says i've got a whole bunch of different psychotherapeutic theories and tools in my basket and i'm going to adapt my skills and tools to the developmental level of my client so that I can better serve them. That's the difference. Yeah. And I think anyone who's got children, um, you know, and they've they're got up into, you know, the teenage years or something, you've seen your children go through all of these stages. And as a parent, you understand how differently you treat a one-year-old, a three-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a 14 year old you know you you don't use the same methods um of um instruction discipline um uh, nurturing you know they're very very different and and people really understand that as parents but then when we sort of with um you know one of the things where we, we've got up to third and fourth third person perspective here and i know your model goes up to six person six person mm -hmm. perspective um and there's no reason why that would be the end of it uh, i don't want to explore those that area of it because our conversation is mainly going to be about the shadow um, and we could have a whole conversation about uh you know the far reach the development and the nitty-gritty of it but um you know one of the kind of quite noticeable things about western culture you know modern uh, culture society is that we think that when once you hit 18 or 21 that's it you're done and you don't really change the rest of your life and that's one of the really empowering things about this developmental lens on um, growth is that you, you never stop it's, it's particularly rapid the the uh, you know in the first kind of 15 16 years 18 years of your life um, and that's why it's very noticeable there um, 
and so I think you know people that so I've got kids I've got a six-year-old and an eight-year-old um, and I've known about this developmental stuff ever since they were born and it's been really helpful for me as a parent to not say when they, when they are only uh, uh, have a first person perspective I, I don't try and uh, I'm not trying to get them to do things that are beyond that because it's just frustrating for me and for them. I'm going to meet them where they are. And then once, you know, they there's this kind of like, you know, magical moment where they, you know, they uh, they can access that second person perspective and you feel a bit more seen as a parent, you know, and um, you become a bit more cooperative and, and uh, there's, you know, new new things that can, can happen at all of those those levels. And it's just kind of applying that, that kind of, home homely common sense understanding of this that we all have as parents but just applying that on a kind of wider scale to humans throughout their entire life um mm -hmm. and looking at psych psychotherapy and it's really important what, what you say because people have their model of psychotherapy and they just do it for uh, i'm a cbt therapist and whoever comes to them they just do that or I'm a Jungian therapist or I'm a, you know, whatever. And it, it, and it's a bit harder to kind of advertise or brand yourself as a developmental psychotherapist because people don't quite understand, you know, it's, you've got too many tools in your box. It's a bit like saying I'm a, a, a versatile musician. I'm not just a jazz person or i'm not i don't just play afro beat or something you know it's um it's a little bit like that you know so people say well what kind of music do you play well you know I play all sorts of things and it, <laughs> you know what i mean it's a bit bit i don't know whether you, how whether you found that yeah. in terms of trying to you know promote yourself as a as a, as a therapist well i i think you're right on target there um and I, it brings up a couple different stories one is that uh, as, as far as I'm concerned, I, I haven't had that brand myself. For, I've been fortunate in that I just get good word of mouth. And so I have full practice without having to brand. And so that's just been a very big gift for me. Um, but uh, it brings me up, what you were just saying was a story when I was a young psychotherapist, uh, just starting out, I was maybe only a, a few years into it. And uh, I had a client come to me from another psychotherapist and they blew out of the other psychotherapist. And, and so I, uh, what, what you do, what a good protocol to do is to ask them for permission to talk to the previous psychotherapist so you can understand what went wrong and to um, explore, uh, you know, what might go right instead. And so I, I called up this previous psychotherapist, a respected PhD psychotherapist in town. And I, I talked to her about the client, uh, showed the, you know, um, the right to speak to her. I had a signed release of information. And she said, oh, yeah, that client, she's a treatment failure. And I go, what do you mean a treatment failure? Well, I put her through the treatment and she failed. I go, well, what treatment did you use? And she said, CBT, CBD, uh, CBT, not CBD, CBT. <laughs> <laughs> CBT. And so cognitive behavioral therapy or cognitive restructuring therapy and, and, and she failed. So she's a treatment failure. I go, wow. Okay. You know, so I, I hung up and I never consider any of my clients a treatment failure. I consider if my client 
uh, doesn't get better. It's my failure as a therapist to not figure out how to help them get better. Uh, I don't take it all on. I mean, everybody has to take their own responsibility in healing, but I certainly wouldn't call somebody a treatment failure. But what I learned from that was, of course, CBT, CPT wasn't the right uh, tool to use for that person. So I used a relationship-based psychotherapy that had some cultural awareness to it and the person flourished. They did great. They healed very quickly, had a great time, uh, successfully completed therapy and ostensibly went on to have a better life. Uh, I never heard any other complaints from them since. So um, uh, it's just the awareness that if you only have one tool in your basket, like a carpenter, if all you have is a hammer, then you're trying to saw through a plank with your hammer, you know, it's just not effective. It doesn't work well. And so one of the good things about being a developmental psychotherapist is you learn all of the tools, as many as you can, yeah. and you apply them to the, in a, in a way that matches the developmental level of the client. Yeah. That, that story really helps illustrate the point. That's brilliant. Yeah. So, so we were going to kind of dive into exploring the shadow. Um, and um, I think the first thing, there, so there's, there's, well, there's three types of shadow we're going to explore, which is something I've learned through encountering your work, because, you know, my understanding of the shadow was a bit kind of one dimensional, I suppose, you know, with the um, not passing it out to these three different types. So perhaps if, if uh, we could just start with you defining what we mean by the shadow and then we can yes. unpack that please thanks wonderful ralph um so the shadow is basically Jungian's term for the unconscious uh freud studied the unconscious scientifically uh he didn't discover the unconscious as many people think the unconscious was well known even millennia before then even if you read like plato's allegory of the cave you can see that there is this awareness of the unknown the un, almost the unconscious he doesn't he doesn't describe it in the way of understanding the unconscious but there's already hints there and it, it, the allegory of the cave is actually a beautiful allegory for the unconscious actually um even though that's not exactly what plato was trying to say in that he was trying to say something maybe a little more um profound than that even. But anyway, uh, Freud was the first one to systematically, scientifically study the unconscious in the Western hemisphere. Uh, of course, in the East, they, they, were, they studied and explored shadow uh, 2000 years prior in, in one of the Chinese dynasties. I can't remember it right now, which one it was, but um, they actually have writings on exploring the unconscious a little bit there. But anyway, on the Western hemisphere, Freud studied it. It's the unconscious. And then, um, Jung was Freud's student, and he renamed the term the shadow, which actually kind of really popularized it. Now, today, when people talk about shadow and the unconscious, they might talk about it differently. Uh, shadow's kind of moved, it's kind of morphed a little bit in its definition to being those unconscious personality traits that can be a problem, as opposed to the whole unconscious, which is the entire, you know, um, uh, regulatory system that runs through the unconscious mechanisms of our being. Yeah, and that's when people tend to say, oh, that person's got some shadow issues or something. They're talking about, you know, specific character traits, yeah. not the whole right. kind of deep water in the lake, you know, type of thing that's that dark right. water at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. 
And yet that whole field, the whole unconscious, there's so much rich stuff to explore there just beyond the, you know, outward expressive personality traits that have dark elements to them or um, dysfunctional elements to them. Um, there's a lot of power there to be had. Uh, so I, for me, I term the shadow, the entirety of the unconscious, but I'm respectful of people that say, no, it's just these personality traits. Okay. So, um, and then, so you, you kind of passed it out into these three main types of shadow. And, mm -hmm. um, as far as I can gather, we've got split ego states. Is mm -hmm. that one of them? Um, projections. Yes. And so that's an outward projection. Mm -hmm. And then the opposite, which you call an introjection. Right. Is that right? Yeah. That's right. Exactly true. Um, so these are, you know, th these are, th these are, are interesting. So I'd like to kind of explore those three and I, where's, where's the best place to start with those, which one of those three yeah, sense. so maybe as a segue, just talking about how before you encountered my work, you said shadow was kind of like this kind of mm. blob thing. Yeah, okay, well, I'll tell, yeah, I'll, tell, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you the type of, um, I mean, I, I think I've been, I've been exploring, um, uh, what, you know, what, what you've been calling the shadow, just the young, the unconscious through uh, that mainly through meditation and psychedelics mm -hmm. but then i've been doing psychotherapy um for about 14 years and but that's been working with more specific recurring character traits mm -hmm. which are with the help of my therapist um who is a developmental psychotherapist uh called gary hawk highly recommend working with him um so that's been more about bringing out some of these ways of being that aren't that that are quite clear to my therapist or some of my friends or people I meet, but not so much to me. And I kind of they're kind of almost automatic behaviors and I can't see myself doing it. But then through working with this with my therapist and he's helping me see these parts of myself from lots of different angles to, to kind of so I can say like, ah I can I, it's, it's literally feels like bringing it out of the dark just mm -hmm. kind of and and shining lots of lights on it you're putting spotlights on lots of angles like whoa okay whoa okay I can, I can now I can feel it I can I can actually feel myself doing that and um and they become what you might call conscious and it place where I can actually operate effectively from that place uh, consciously rather than just it riding me so to speak um, and you know there's lots of kind of little threads to it but there's there's often well there, there's been kind of a like a handful of main themes that we've worked with you know uh, this on a personal level for me um, so i kind of i've been doing both types of what we've just been talking that kind of you know the the the, the whole um exploration of the depths um but then with this kind of specific traits um and one of the things that 
you know, it's been been a kind of back pocket shadow practice for me is noticing things that that I react strongly to. Mm-hmm. And then that's normally a sign that it's something I'm either very attracted to or repulsed by. Um, and the, the inquiry is, is all of this, it's like, oh, OK, ah, right. I'm really, really attracted to that person, some of their qualities or characteristics or whatever. Uh, or, or I'm really repulsed by that person or that fictional character or something. And it's like, well, what? what's you know why am i having feeling like that because um i learned that i'm reacting to a a part that's inside myself and i want to integrate that now okay it sounds a bit abstract i'll give you an example happened just just the other night i um was watching stranger things it's this like horror show on netflix Mm -hmm. and uh there's this kind of dark wizard guy who's all kind of, you know, just bare muscles all creeping around. He hasn't got any skin and he's really dark and creepy and evil. And he walks up to these kids on their, they're on their own. They're all alone and he's calling their name and he comes up to them and he kind of puts his hand on their head and just breaks their body and they die. Um, and that's as far as I've got in the, the show. So there might be more to it, but I haven't watched further than that. And I was on my own packing up this tent in the dark in the woods um and i suddenly kind of like felt this guy there and i and i, I became a bit like one of these kids and this guy was coming up to me and i was really i was like starting to freak out and then i suddenly was like realized it just hit me that i am that character for other creatures i'm thinking you know um i don't eat a lot of animals but you know in my life i've eaten a lot of fish and things like that i've chopped down trees i've i've eaten plants so i am that guy mm-hmm. you know to other breaking the bodies uh you know and just menacing the i am i've been the worst nightmare for other creatures many times in my life and i was and it owning that was really it was difficult because i didn't i don't want to be that for, mm-hmm. you know for, it's, it's a difficult thing to come to terms with that, that you are the worst nightmare, you know, for, for other creatures. But it totally diffused the feeling of threat of this guy being outside of myself. And all of a sudden I wasn't, I wasn't scared anymore because mm-hmm. it was like, well, I am that person. So I've got to own the fact I am that scary for other people, you know, uh, other creatures. Um, so it's, it's more, that's the kind of thing that I've, I've been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so and and when when i hear people talking about the shadow just in podcasts and videos and that kind of thing it seems to be the main understanding of it is um these specific character traits that we've all got unique cluster of shadow character traits there might be golden shadows where where we things we think we don't have like excellence or that we're attractive or we're powerful those kind of things but then also the darker sides like what i've just illustrated about being a violent menacing nightmarish creature you know yourself and um yeah that that's a bit of a ramble but i i does that shed some light on what you were looking for (laughs) that's absolutely perfect ralph and and that's really the perfect segue because that's how a lot of people see it and that's how a lot of people work with it. Mm -hmm. And it's a very good way to work. It's a very 
powerful way to work. But notice that the bias was towards integrating. Mm, yeah. And that's what we do with split ego states. And it works great with split ego states. So what I started realizing was that, wait a minute, not only do we have development, but we have three classes of shadow, interjects, projections, and split ego states. And you have to work completely different with each one of those, because if you work the wrong way, you can actually cause damage. So imagine that scenario again, okay? Let's say you were a female in the woods who had been raped as a three-year-old. And you've had this dark menacing experience around you. And then you go, oh, I need to integrate that. What we're really integrating is an interject from the rapist. And now we're taking something that's not me that I've been carrying that's from somebody else. And I'm integrating it even more deeply into me. And I'm actually causing damage now. Yeah. So, so what I became aware of is that all of the therapeutic tools are good if they're applied to the right, the, the right style. So, so in, that, in that, exa that example, wrong style of shadow, you can cause damage. Yeah. So in that example, you were just saying, so, you know, you, you were, uh, you're a woman, you've been, or, or a man, you know, let, let, let's say I, mean, I was, um, well, I mean, I, I don't mind saying this publicly. I had a, a, a sexual abuse incident when I was mm -hmm. uh, younger at school. I went to a boarding school mm -hmm. uh, and I had that. And so, you know, that I can feel, so to integrate that person that who did that to me into myself, that doesn't feel right. And in, 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 in what you're saying, so you're saying that it's actually, I, I've got more of a kind of natural instinct to just spit that out from my system. Um, but to integrate more the feelings around that or something or you know my to, to to make myself heal from that experience but i don't want to heal from that experience by incorporating this guy who did something nasty to me when i was young exactly yeah exactly and what might be happening with this dark external presence some of that might be you. We're humans, we're, you know, we're one of the most destructive creatures and horror creatures to the rest of the planet that there is, even if we just live in our normal, you know, American or European lives, you know, we're creating a lot of damage. So I think it's important to incorporate that horror in ourselves, uh, just to take ownership of who we are and what we're about and, and help it help us make better decisions. But if we've suffered trauma, how much of that was actually an interject? that exaggerated that feeling beyond uh, what, what our responsibility is to hold. So we wanna take what our responsibility is to hold, but we don't wanna carry the horror of the perpetrator inside of us and interject that into us because we actually cause more damage. So we have um, three classes of, uh, of shadow, interjections, projections, and split ego states. And what we want to do is understand that with split ego states, we want to integrate just like you did. And, and it relieved your fear. So there was accuracy in that. That was good. But, um, but if you were dealing with an um, a interject and you tried to incorporate it, it would feel very toxic. It would, it would not feel good, but yet we have psychotherapists that bias towards integrating everything. Everything needs to be integrated. Well, no, we don't want to integrate everything because we will cause damage to our clients if we integrate everything. We have other people that are only into expressive therapies. It's all about releasing. Well, now what I'm doing is I'm taking stuff that's mine 
and I'm giving it out to the world. So express we, your anger, express yeah. it, express it. And what we're doing is we're just taking our own shadow and we're dumping it on the external world, causing all kinds of pain sure. and suffering on the world. So you'll say with, with um, this sort of sexual abuse example, um, you it would be more appropriate to release aspects of that. Yes forever be gone you know just waft off into historical time bye bye good riddance type of thing yeah this is not me and i don't need to own it anymore yeah i don't need to carry it anymore and then the difference with let's say uh, a projection let's say <clears throat> um you know you uh, someone had never felt um powerful you know, they, they, they were were amazed by, attracted to people who seemed powerful. Um, and so that that's a kind of, you're projecting your, your own actual power. Um, exactly. But you have, as an autonomous, agentic human being, onto other people who may, they may be powerful people themselves, but you've got an extra, there's an extra charge to your kind of, like, oh my God, that person's so powerful. You know, I feel so weak and helpless, you know, so then you're you're projecting it outwards onto that person. So then rather than releasing it, what you what are we talking? So that's what do we do there? What we need to do is reown our projections. OK, we reown our projections. And this is kind of what you did, too, with the dark thing that was outside of you. Right. You said, oh, it's outside of me. Wait a minute. That's me. I'm going to reown it. And then what you did was you began some aspect of, of, of by reowning it, it took away your fear. So fear, anger, resentment, irritability, frustration, those are all examples of projection. We're actually projecting our power out onto the world. And then we get frustrated that we don't have the power to cope. We live in fear. We live in powerlessness. And so what we want to do is bring that power back inside of us so that we don't live in fear, that we don't live in doubt, that we don't live in um, self, uh, in 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 worshiping people outside of us that are so powerful. I mean, you can really see it, for example, in a lot of the Trump movement. So many people are disowning their own power and giving Trump the power to tell them what reality is. This is a classic projection of our power, our own intelligence, our own capacities out onto a strong figure, and a lot of people who have been treated a certain way in childhood, bring it back into parenting. Um, if we're spanked a lot, if we're dominated a lot by our parent, we might rebel and become the rebellious child. And we might even start being the rebel without a cause. I just rebel for the sake of rebelling. On the other hand, I might be a very conformist to very powerful people. And so we can see how the parenting dynamic sets us up for particular shadows. In this case, giving away our power to a strong authoritarian. There's a lot of people around the world, not just in America, all over the world that really want a strong authoritarian leader. They don't want democracy. They want a strong authoritarian leader to tell them what to do because it feels secure. And if their strong authoritarian parent was a relatively kind one or a relatively caring one, even though it was dominant and controlling and, and told them how to live their life. But if there was enough caring and love and respect, then you can see how bonding becomes a bond to strong, powerful, clear, uh, dominant 
people. And they're going to feel secure in that. And others that are raised in um, maybe a place where parents really encourage the child's participation in the family and the child's essence to unfold within the family, they're probably not going to like that strong authoritarian type of person. They're going to tend to see them as controlling rather than supportive. And so we can see how the way we were raised sets us up for different shadow, different political orientations, all kinds of different things. So, um, I mean, and that, I mean, this one's a big one, you know, this, the theme of this podcast is spiritual practice and, you know, lots of spiritual practitioners end up doing this with gurus and spiritual teachers. And, you know, this is, yeah. this is like a classic hazard of, mm. um, getting instruction from people. That's right. In, That's uh, a huge one. Spiritual and, practice. Yeah. And it's really interesting at stages, we tend to attract quite a few people too. And many of them have been in, in spiritual cults for lack of a better word or, or followed spiritual gurus that actually abuse them. And it's easy for people to project on us even. And we keep giving that back saying, oh no, we're giving you back your power and your wisdom. We, we, we can teach you certain things, but we're not, you know, we're not here to are here to help you become the wisest, most powerful being you can be inside yourself. So we often have to deflect the projection, the positive projections back, and they're enticing to hold on to. It's like, oh, wow, this person is seeing me, you know, as their guru. And it's like, that's fine. But I, I, but my tendency is to always, you know, thank you, but I want to give you back your power. I might have something to offer you and I'm happy to do that, but I want you to have your power so that you can go live your more full, robust, fulfilled life. Um, so, and how, so then we've got the split ego aspects of it. Yes. So you, right. could you just describe what that, you know, cause we got, we got, we, we were integrating our projections and then it sounds like we're integrating these split ego states as well, but they're, they sit they're different split ego states are different to projections. Yes. So let's, let's look at the difference. If our conflict is outside of us, we're upset with a political party, a political figure, uh, a neighbor, uh, you know, anything outside of us, that's probably, we're gonna look in the realm of projection. I'm giving something away and that's triggering me so much outside of me. So we need to figure out what the projection is and bring it back. Now, a lot of times people just say, you know, take it all back, but we don't wanna take it all back we need to hone down into what the actual projection is and take the projection back. Um, now, uh, if our problem is internal, like, oh, I can't make this decision. I'm, I'm confused. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm beating myself up inside. I uh, can't make a decision. I'm indecisive. That's an internal split, right? So now we got split ego states and split ego states. We so want you, them you've got to an example. Well an example might be you, you've got, you've got inside, you've got like, two voices one saying um oh, i just want to sit down and chill you know uh, and then the other side of you going no 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 you you've got this work to do and you you you, you know you can't rest right, and right, right. that's the kind of yeah that's what we're talking about that's right that's a split ego state now when we have a split ego state we need to make some assessments here okay uh we need to get clear on whether 
we split ourselves in two, which we have to do as we grow up. For example, to get into second person perspective, we have to split ourselves two in two in a healthy way so that I can see from my own perspective and I can see from your perspective. And then, and you'll often see children at this stage go, well, I wanna do this, but it wouldn't be fair. So you see that split ego state, but that's a healthy split ego state. They're aware of their own ego, their own personal want, but they're also aware of the other person's uh, want. And so that would be what we call, I would call a healthy split ego state. And I think what we have to do is have healthy split ego states. We do it each time we move to a new developmental level, we get a split ego state. And, but eventually those all come back together then and reintegrate, but you have to be pre aware of that. And then you have to be aware of it. And then eventually you can get to post post development where that comes together. I just again. thought of the, another example of that might be, let's say someone grew up as a fundamentalist Christian or something. And then suddenly they kind of, this splitting happens where they start to question it. And then all of a sudden they switch i mean i've I've met people like this really quickly they're like whoa okay all religion is bullshit um and um uh, you know just this kind of rejection phase when you just go it's a bit like uh being a reformed smoker you've just given up smoking and you just can't bear to be around look at those people smoking it's disgusting you know and um but given enough time you know time is such a healing thing and it's just an amazing thing that that time does this but you know over time you kind of soften to that kind of pushing off from what was there before and uh become a you know sometimes people get a bit more friendly to it it's like okay i was overreacting or as a you know not all religions rubbish and you know that that kind of thing um you know become less of a militant atheist for example um yeah exactly Exactly. Because what's happening is, is we don't just as a whole conscious pop into a new developmental level. So you're describing the move from 2.5, second person perspective, advanced to third person perspective, where we can look in and see um, the how we were raised, the fundamentalism that we were raised in, the masks that we had to wear, and we start wanting to take off the masks. <clears throat> But our whole consciousness doesn't just pop into third person perspective, a part of our consciousness wakes up and sees it, but a part of us has still got that fundamentalist inside of us. Hmm. And so what we do is what you just described is how one ego state looks back at another ego state and rejects it, but doesn't want to see that it's inside. So now we're projecting it outward on all those other people that are fundamentalist. Hmm. And now we're reacting to all those external events. Being fundamentalist yourself about fundamentalists, you become a fundamentally right, exactly. rejecting it yeah but they're exactly. not seeing it not seeing the joke you know yourself not seeing the joke right and so what we need to do is take back our own fundamentalism and really wrestle with it internally it's uncomfortable so it's easier to just project it out it's all those people i'm already enlightened but i'm only coming from that one part of my ego state so we take back the projection and then we start working with that but here's the trick when we take the projection back, it's not necessarily just a healthy ego state. It could be an interject. <clears throat> For example, fundamentalism may have been crammed down my throat by a very abusive um, person. Yeah. So an example might be, I know people that went to convents and they had nuns telling them, you're going to go to hell. You know, That's you, right. Yeah. You, and you, beating you, them you, while they're doing yeah. it. 
Yeah. And so now what we have is these interjects. So when we take a projection back, we need to get clear. Is this an actual normal, healthy split ego state inside of me? Or is this actually an interject that I absorbed? And then it became so painful that then I also projected it out onto the world. So when we take a projection back, we have to do that inquiry, that deep exploration about how much is this a part of me and how much was this an interject that I need to release back to the source that gave it to me. <clears throat> yeah, like if you were to release something, it's almost like nature herself will digest it, you know? Um, and if, um, so with this, with the split ego states, um, so we've got, let's, if we stick with this example as someone who, they're, they're conflicted about just wanting to chill or be really active and get stuff done. It's quite a mundane example, but it's one everyone can relate to, I think. Absolutely. Um, Classic so, split. Um, so we've got these two sides. They both got their own truths. You know, sometimes it really is appropriate to chill. Sometimes it's really appropriate to, uh, you know, get after it. So what are you suggesting one does in that circumstance? Okay. So And, and, and how does this, and how and how is this... A, a shadow question yeah so at first i might not even be aware of the split i might just be aware of being really confused and not sure what to do I, I go to work but then i just find myself eating pizza in front of netflix and feeling guilty about eating pizza in front of netflix and then going out and trying to do some work i'm really had by it so it's really in shadow you're describing someone who's already cleared up some of the shadow and can yeah. see oh look yeah. i have this part of me that that just wants to chill in this part of me that wants to work. Yeah. On that, so, um, you know, that's really important to, I just want to put the, uh, the zero in on that, that quite often as people, we, we're just distressed. We're, we're, we're upset. We're discombobulated. We're acting weird. We don't quite know mm -hmm. why. And then some, and this is one of the great things about being in a relationship, you know, so like I might be like that and my wife might say, well, look, you know, I, she can see what the problem is, you know, I really, you know, I, it's, do you want to chill? You know, well, she helped, she, she like, you, you seem to be wrestling with, do you want to chill or do you want to get this job done? And then she might, we might start talking about it and she, and she helps me say, well, look, why don't you chill today and then do the work tomorrow or whatever, you know, and then you start, it becomes, it's, it becomes, it's out of the shadows and it's an object that you're both looking at together and, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Now let's go into that just a little bit more because precision is, you know, the devil is in the details, they say, right? And so I have this, this part of me that, you know, wants to chill and this part of me that feels like I need to work. And now I'm going to look at this part, you know, and I'm going to look at this part that says I need, uh, you know, I want to chill or I need to work. We're going to look at both of them. But let's take a, the one that wants to work at this point. How much of that is me actually working from passion? And how much is that me feeling like I need to work because I'm guilty? I feel guilty because I'm not working. Now we're dealing with a split ego state within a split ego state. So and an example of that might be what people call the, the Protestant work ethic. Exactly. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah, I might have been beaten if I didn't work hard or ridiculed by my parent or I was just taught the Protestant work ethic. So now what I have is a split ego state that's divided between my true passion of work and my guilt about I need to work. So we wanted what we need to do is split that split ego state, send back the interject of the guilt around work. And now all we're left with pure passion of work. And now that interacts, that pure passion interacts differently with the passion of being. So we have the passion of being and the passion of doing now. <clears throat> now imagine what happens if I try to integrate these two ego states while I still have that interject on the other one, the work ethic. Now what we have is we're trying to integrate these two ego states, but that work ethic half that's not us is shaming and blaming the one that wants to relax and chill out, mm. right? But if we can divide off that interject and send it back, now what we have is pure passion of being and pure passion of doing, and they interact very well together. Mm. And, 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 and our spiritual states, right? And in being, fact, it, it is possible to chill while doing so if we if we were to just we're just we've passed out the kind of um interjects that all that cult, the culture the negative super what used to be called i don't know whether it's still is the super ego thing of you know the whatever just bashing like mm -hmm. oh you know you shouldn't be chilling or and then we got the kind of the just that kind of exuberant passion for being energetic and doing stuff um you've got the the, the chilling thing you can't you don't actually need to choose one or the other so one thing i do i do a lot of um um manual work and domestic tasks um a lot of it but for me i get in the zone when i do it and it, it almost there's nothing i enjoy more than mowing the lawn or doing the dishes or you know ripping old cabinets off the walls and mm -hmm. just stuff like that just so at the same time i am lit really being and doing at the same time i'm i'm having a float what people call a flow state i find it very relaxing i'm not thinking about existential questions i'm just there so you know that's a thing too that you know you don't necessarily have it's not a binary thing you don't you, you have to choose one or the other that's right yeah yeah we move into that um so for where the split ego state what happens is when we integrate they start merging together until they become one and we don't have the split anymore um and we have these whole stages in between where that is merging but there's still separation to some degree and um but you're describing that state where they've come together and doing is being being is doing and and there's and this flow state arises and and the more they integrate the more that flow state arises cool so so the general orientation for this seems to be healing making us whole but making us a healthy whole so it in let's think of like a cell uh, doesn't just suck in everything around it. It's got this kind of selectively permeable membrane which is designed to let certain things in and to reject other things, uh, push things out or let things not even be able to come in. Mm -hmm. um, so is, there, is our natural state a state of healthy wholeness? 
or is um, I mean this is a, this is kind of a little bit of thing where you've got an evolutionary developmental perspective and then one that's a bit more static. So my understanding of a developmental and evolutionary unfolding is that you become increasingly whole and healthy mm -hmm. um, and that it's not whilst at the same time recognizing that everything is perfect the way it is uh, because everything is nature uh, mm -hmm. one thing one mm -hmm. being you know mm -hmm. that is what it is he is she is they is whatever <laughs> whatever the pronoun is for this cosmic supreme being that we all are um you know how how do you know what i'm i'm, I'm trying to describe there there's the there's the there's the kind of things are already perfect as they are and whole mm -hmm. and healthy but also this developmental perspective is that the opportunity it's no, it's not the no, it's not the opportunity. That's a kind of like a bit more of the sort of achiever type of thing. Sees the opportunity to develop. It's an actual. Some people describe it as an erotic force within life itself to become more, all the time, become more whole it, it, uh, by growing, and become um, increasingly healed. I mean, it's it's diff. Uh, uh, um, so yeah, I mean, does that any of that make any sense? And is this, you know, do you know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. So <clears throat> if we talk about states, stages, and shadow. So state experiences are like these these um, fleeting experiences, but they have these little wake up experiences. They're altered states. Now, uh, often people call these spiritual states, but secular people have them too. They just don't call them spiritual states. Um, I don't have an opinion whether people call them spiritual or not. You know, I think if the term spiritual really helps you feel alive, then that's great. Um, I, I, it's interesting. I've, I've worked with these spiritual states and with the scientists that have no belief in a spiritual world and, and they start tingling and they go, I think this is what people call spirituality. You know, that's the term that they give it, you know, so it's, it's real, no matter how you look at it, but each developmental level sees spirituality differently again. And what you're describing is more like a fifth person perspective where everything's perfect and everything's evolving simultaneously. That's a very advanced uh, perspective. If, if you can actually hold that in honesty and truth in your heart, but you might take a child who's, you know, three years old and a spiritual state is like being tickled. That's just like an unbelievable spiritual state or the spiritual state of getting theory of mind, all of a sudden getting a little shy and then poking back out and going, oh, or the spiritual state of peekaboo for even younger, right? I mean, they just laugh and giggle. It's just the most delighted thing in the world when they start getting that peekaboo thing. That is a state experience. And then it becomes a stage structure where, oh yeah, I know you, you're behind. And all of a sudden it doesn't have much meaning anymore. One of the things that I do is I create meditation, spiritual or otherwise meditations that are adapted to the developmental level of the person. I was in Yosemite uh, last year um, and I ran across a couple um, uh, young women from India and I just asked them if they meditated and they, they said, the one said, yes, I meditate. And the other one said, I used to, but it doesn't, it just doesn't have any meaning for me anymore. It doesn't work. And I go, well, that's probably because you've outgrown it. 
what meditation were you using? And she described the classic third person perspective meditation, you know, that kind of like that, have a thought, let it go, have a thought, let it go, have a thought, let it go kind of a thing. And so uh, I said, but I talked to her and it only took me a few minutes to see that she was clearly in fourth person perspective, not third person perspective. So I gave her a fourth person perspective, which was instead of have a thought and let it go, how about, um, how about a meditation of <clears throat> when you feel love, instead of going love comes up and I let it go, love comes up, let me wrap up the whole world with that love. Hmm. And she just started crying immediately. It was just, you know, in fourth person perspective, it's not about letting go. It's about this, about holding the whole world. So we start having spiritual states of holding the whole world in our love, you know, rather than trying to control our mind with these, you know, monkey mind and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and she started crying. And now that was a meaningful, powerful meditation for her. And she wanted to meditate now. And she said she was going to do that because it just touched her so deeply. And, and, and the other one, uh, did that meditation too. And it was very powerful for her. And she was kind of crossing from 3.5 to 4.0. So you can see that um, these meditations grow from one developmental level to another. And, and certain meditations just get boring for people because they've mastered them already, but they're being told to do them. And, and yeah. they, they often feel guilty that they're not doing their meditation. And for me, you know, being very custom oriented to the client rather than telling clients to meet that that's the same thing as the developmental psychotherapy mm -hmm. it's the non-developmentally aware spiritual teacher that tells them do this meditation and they're not taking into account the developmental level of the student yeah. <clears throat> so they just start them at the beginning with concentration and anybody who's got a phd or gone to school has already mastered concentration we don't need to go through a meditation of concentration people get bored and then they go, I don't like meditation. Yeah. That, that's, um, you've got, you've got really complete developmental systems like Tibetan Buddhism, for example, has, has this, you know, very, very, uh, detailed developmental thread from it, through it from that's beginning right. to end. Right. And it, it, you know, um, and then you've got other types of, um, meditation practice which are, are much more kind of um um they're, they're kind of mono practices just mm -hmm. you've got the one thing um and you just do that um right. and and i th i think that you know that's really really important point you raise and it, and it's it's e it's it's easy when you when you line it up with things you observe naturally anywhere in your life like being a parent with children going through developmental stages and the different types of parenting you use, all of that. And then you, what you said about the levels of uh, stages we grow through and the different psychotherapeutic techniques. And it makes mm -hmm. perfect sense for meditation uh, practices, for example, to follow the same structure and all these other things. But mm -hmm. it's like quite often I've found, you know, and I'm as guilty as, if, uh, as, this, uh, as anyone else, that we we think that spiritual practices or spirituality follows different rules to say learning a musical instrument you know or or anything like that i mean the musical instrument would be another good example you know you you kind of you're you're aiming for making music together with people but 
at the beginning you've got to get the kind of physical uh limb and finger coordination down you've got to learn some rudiments some scales you do a little mm -hmm. bit of music making but you you still got to do all of that and you're kind of working with a teacher and teaching all of that sort of thing but then when you get to a certain level you kind of outgrown what that teacher can teach you and a certain a good teacher and i talking from personal experience i was a drum teacher for 14 years and um you know at a certain point you know you can't teach people things and you say well you've got to you've got to go off and either explore on your own or find someone else who can take you further and you know it's 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 kind of all over there once you start recognizing it you can see it everywhere um and then perhaps we could just just look at noticing the time we could just wrap this up with um maybe this might be difficult to do but the no i'm not even gonna i was gonna say we could we could explore uh shadow at different stages uh of of growth but i think that's like that's way too uh, a bigger topic to to end to end. So we can't wrap that one up in five minutes unless you think you can well maybe i can say this i can do a little promotion too. our our shadow and light journey um if, if that i teach what what i do in that is and and this can be educational for everybody here on your podcast is we take um uh the developmental levels developmental growth or evolution and we work with it with shadow and we work with it with states and we work with it with um uh, stages and what we do is i have meditations for every developmental level from first person perspective all the way up through sixth person perspective. And so when, when we do this, I, uh, you, you, you have the state experiences of the meditation and these meditations are designed to fill out and make whole each developmental level so that each developmental level is whole and full in and of itself so that um, you have a more flow experience, not just laterally, but um, uh, vertically up and down the developmental spectrum. So we do, what I do is I have developmental meditations and then we go through it with shadow, with states and with, and with, uh, with the, the stages, of course. This is like a whole year long deep dive. It's a real deep transformational work. And we do this in community of a small community of about uh, 14 to 16 people so that we can really, uh, really work with each other in an intimate and caring environment. And I teach us how to hold space and be there for each other and how to help manage group and work group, do group work and, and be present for each other. And, and then we're getting trained in, I, I, train, I train the developmental um, meditations. So meditation at 1.0, 1.5, 2.0, 2.5, all the way up to 6.5. And it's okay if you're not at the later developmental levels, most people aren't, but people that have taken the course still feel like they get a value of it and kind of a little boost to listening to these later developmental meditations. And then we um, really hold space for each other. We take time to really care and, and hold space and, and teach each other how to hold space for uh, interjects or projections or split ego states. And, and we also, I also train uh, people on on the evolution of shadow resolution because a lot of times people get stuck in like we we're just talking about how we're unaware and then we try to make things aware and then we just try to change from there 
But sometimes what we do is we become aware, but we're in symptom aware. We're aware of the symptoms. And what do we do in symptom aware? We just try to get rid of the symptoms. We don't get to the deeper underlying wisdom that comes from that. And so we lose that wisdom. So we go from symptom aware to trigger aware to internal process aware to conscious conceptualization. And we, so we actually do a much deeper dive into what re, how you really resolve the whole shadow process um, and actually gather the uh, incredible, the incredible treasures that are held inside of us that are in hiding underneath the blanket of the shadow. And so that's what this uh, process is about as a, as a complete um, year long transformational experience. It sounds really deep. Um, and I mean, I've, it, it been listening to quite a lot of your um podcasts and, and those and youtube videos and you know in preparation for this and you um you, you uh, well the first thing to say is you obviously have a lot of experience in this uh you know uh, decades of of work uh with must be thousands of uh you know sessions un under your your belt um but also very very granular knowledge i mean what what i was been consciously trying to do in this conversation is to ground the conversation in very kind of um homely uh examples and things people can grasp because um you know you seem to have a very very detailed theoretical knowledge of this stuff too um you know which um i think is is great uh, if anyone's doing this this course it's going to be deep it's long it's thorough with other people so how, how do people where do people go to find out how to sign up for this course? Yeah, just go to my website, kimbarda.org, not kimbarda.com. Somebody else owns that who's not using it. Kimbarda.org. And um, and you'll see my courses there. Um, I got Illuminating Shadow. If you just want to kind of dip your toe in, it's very inexpensive course to get started. Oh, the other thing is that I have a free... Um, a free shadow assessment. So if you're interested in these different types of shadow, you can go to kimbarda.org and take the free assessment and it will give you, uh, it will automatically calculate your, um, your uh, dispersion of how many, how, what percentage of your shadow is interjects, what percentage is projections and what percentage is ego is split ego states. And now keep in mind, you're going to get a hundred percent total on that. That doesn't mean you're a hundred percent shadow. It means of your shadow, this is your distribution of interject split ego states and, and projections. And then you get a free customized PDF that, that, that addresses that for you. You'll get a free video and then you get a free uh, eight, uh, eight session um, uh, mini e-course on shadow. So that's all free. That's just what I give. And then you can take illuminating shadow. You can take healing shadow. You can take uh, communing with shadow, which is similar to what I just described without the meditation. So it's just the deep dive, but all about the shadow and really deep dive about healing shadow. That's a year long immersive program too. And that's where we deal with the, the three types of shadow and the evolution of shadow resolution. And we really learn how to hold space with the community. And then there's the shadow and light journey, which is the whole deep dive communing with shadow with the developmentally informed meditation state stage um, growth. So You'll find that all on kimbarda.org. Wow, treasure trove. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. It's all about finding the treasure in you and in yeah. everybody who comes in. That's what it's about. Shadow isn't just about diving in and being miserable, you know, for 30 years until you get better. It's about uh, releasing these things or absorbing the, uh, uh, 
getting back your power, letting go of the monkey on your back that isn't yours, integrating, and then finding the treasure that arises, the hidden treasure. So part of it is the healing, but the other part is finding the hidden treasure that was, that was covered over by the shadow blanket. So not only is there the healing that arises, but then it's discovering that treasure that was hidden by that blanket too. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's been a, been a real pleasure to connect with you, Kim. And um, you likewise know, with like, you, Ralph. Yeah. And, um, you know, I hope some people benefit from from getting this more granular knowledge on the shadow um, and this developmental perspective. And I hope people sign up to your course and um, become increasingly whole and healed and uh, amazing people. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ralph. It was great meeting you and being with you here. I made all the music that I use in my podcasts. If you'd like to hear more of my music, please visit SoundCloud and check out my profile, Ralph Cree.